Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you guys today. Um, and yeah, we're going to continue. And actually, we're going to finish off this series um, today called The Table. So this is the fourth part. And we're going to finish it off um, and then head back into the way uh, next week. Should be great. Um, and yeah, there's a few visitors here today, which is great. So if I haven't met you before, my name is Tim. Um, I'll bring you up to speed with kind of where we've been the last few weeks. And we're going to kind of land the plane, finish it off um, today. So we've been talking about this idea um, in Christianity or in the church of the table actually having a central place um, that's kind of in some ways been lost recently. Um, even in homes in the past, the table was a real central place of family and eating, whereas now it's probably not uncommon maybe to find kids that just never eat at the table with their family. It's kind of society's changed, culture's changed, and this sort of central practice has kind of been lost. Um, but in order to grow as a church community or as a family, a simple practice such as eating together at a table is actually a way to share life, share stories, grow together. It seems so simple, but can be really powerful. We talked about how Jesus did this all the time. Jesus was at meals constantly, particularly in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus is often eating with people. Um, then we talked about how the times when we gather and eat together are to be characterized by joy and celebration. Not because everything's fine, we don't deny the darkness or the pain of life, acknowledge it, but we acknowledge that the light of God is breaking in, that there's things to celebrate because of Jesus, that there's actually joy and delight even in the midst of sorrow because of who he is and because of what God is like. Then last week we said actually when we look at history, look at Jesus, we look at the early church, eating, practicing hospitality is actually also a tool and a way to practice mission to break barriers, to welcome the poor, to welcome the lost, to welcome all people to the tables, what Jesus constantly did, that actually led to transformation. And actually, that's, that's a tool that we can use as well. And as we kind of finish, we kind of started on two weeks kind of around the table as a church community. Last week, we were kind of thinking about the table and the world and mission. And this week, we're sort of thinking about the table and God. And actually, the table having this central place in our relationship with God. So what we're going to do is, is look through um, that passage shortly in Luke 22 around communion. Um, but before that, I'm just going to give you like a real quick history of the world, summary of the Bible in a couple of minutes, um, just to lead up and just to make this passage even more powerful um, and, and understand God's desire and God's heart for communion. So I'm going to pray and then um, we'll go. We're all good to go. Awesome. Yeah, Father, we just thank you um, that you're our God and you're so good. Um, you hear our prayers, you're with us um, here in this place. And we just ask, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us and meet with us this morning? Um, yeah, would your word um, cause our hearts to burn with love for you, Jesus? And, and as we break bread, or the, the cracker soon as we have communion, would you meet with us, Jesus? Would your presence be real? Um, we just offer ourselves to you in your name. Amen. So what I want to, as we come to that passage, I want to show you this idea of communion. And, and not just communion as in how we practice it or the Lord's Supper. Um, it's got lots of different names in different church traditions. We call it communion here. Um, but the actual idea of communing or having fellowship or this like close relationship is a strong desire of God and actually is characteristic of God that the God that we believe in and worship is not a single person, but is one God in three persons who has eternally been this community of love, 
who for all eternity, the Father has loved the Son, the Son's loved the Father and the Spirit. And there's this, some people talk about it as a divine dance, that, that God is in this relationship of love. And then in creation, his heart, the overflow, is to share that, is to express that, is to welcome others into that. And actually, at the very start, and God's intention in creation is for communion. In Genesis 1.26, it says, God said, let us make mankind or humans in our image, in our likeness. So God, this, this triune God, three in one, God in relationship, makes the world and the animals and the trees, but then desires to make a creature like him. And, and it's interesting. He, he even says, let us, this, this, this communal God, let us make humans like us for communion for relationship. And not only that, also to reflect God, to reflect his image. It then talks about ruling on the earth, that God actually has set humans to rule and have dominion on the earth to represent God. But a big part of that is through this relationship, this intimate communion, that God's actual heart in creating us is to share that and for us to have communion with him. Not long into the story, though, that, that, that relationship is damaged it's broken. Interestingly, as we've been talking about food, it was linked to food. The, the, the original sin that was broken was the temptation of the fruit that Eve ate, that Adam ate from this tree that led to the brokenness and the evil of the world, the breakdown of this communion, this relationship with God. So God's desire is to redeem, to wing back the world, to, to make things right. It's actually redemption. And the goal of redemption his, his idea to bring it back is to restore communion. Again, we see this. This is from Exodus when, when God has, has made the people of Israel to be his nation. They've gone into slavery in Egypt, but he wants to bring them back. He said, therefore, I say to the Israelites, he's talking to Moses, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. So they're slaves in Egypt. He wants to redeem them. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. This, this idea is God's, God made this people in Abraham. They've gone to Egypt, which was good to start with, but then they become slaves and it goes bad. And God's desire is to redeem them so that they can come out and be his people. He wants to dwell with them. He wants to have communion and relationship with them. And interestingly, in this the Exodus, when they're, when they're coming out of Egypt, what they do is they have a meal. And the meal becomes the symbol and the way to remember what God did, that God came, that God rescued them, that God delivered them. It was called the Passover. They would eat this each year and they would, in a sense, participate in the redemption and they'd remember that they are God's people, that God rescued them, that, they, that, that God is their God. But this continues on. And the story goes that the people that God has made to be his don't live in communion with him. They don't follow him. They forget him. They worship other gods. He's meant to be their God, but they go and worship these other gods. They, they break the covenant, this agreement, this relationship with him. So God says, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant. He wants to restore it with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors, when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. 
Thou was a husband to them, declares the Lord. So God makes his people. They're in the Egypt. He redeems them. They have this meal called the Passover. But then over time, they forget him. They break the covenant. God's desire for communion is not being realized. With all that background now, now we're going to read the story again from Luke 22. This is, again, the climax of this story in some ways is what we're heading into as, as we sort of finish where, where Jesus is heading as he heads to the cross. But it's interesting as well, in the, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has been having multiple meals with people. And these meals are all kind of leading to this meal that he's waited for to eat with his disciples. And interestingly, it's a Passover meal. This is what Jesus says, when the hour had come, Jesus' time had finally come. Jesus said to his apostles, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. So they're eating a Passover meal. So as they're doing this, they're remembering that God redeemed Israel out of Egypt. God has called them to be his people. And you see Jesus' desire in this. Jesus wants to eat this meal with them. Again, Jesus loved meals. He loved to celebrate. And he's been waiting to spend this time with his followers. And interestingly, he says, this is the last one I'm going to eat until the kingdom of God is fulfilled. Then he does this, taking the cup. He gives thanks and says, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He's saying, this is my last Passover. This is my last glass of wine until the kingdom of God comes. He's, he's looking to something. And this is a normal Passover celebration. But then Jesus changes everything, this meal. He took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And this would have flipped everything. This would have confused his followers. Because so far, Jesus is following the practice of the Passover meal. You go through the steps, you have the cups of wine. But now Jesus redefines this meal around himself. He takes this bread, he says, It's my body given for you. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Again, we read that verse before in Jeremiah, God's planning to bring a new covenant. And Jesus now says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Again, he's redefining the cup and the covenant around himself. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it's been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. Then they began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. So Jesus is at this table with his friends, but still at the table is his betrayer. And it's this, this symbol and this sign, right, that, that God wants this communion, but there's still evil there that needs to be dealt with. There's, there's this, this sin that's tainted the world that needs to be dealt with. And Jesus has the way. It's, it's going to be through his death. Then this happens. A dispute also arose among them as to which was to be considered the greatest. You think, it's not very good timing. Like they're having this Passover meal. Jesus, it's the last meal before he suffers. And who knows why this happened? Maybe they're so excited about this idea the kingdom of God is coming. It's so soon. We're just so excited about who's going to be first. I'm going to be first. I'm going to be first. And then let's get into this fight. You think, it's not a good time. But Jesus said to them, 
The kings of the Gentiles, the nations, lord it over them. And those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. Again, Jesus is defining the kingdom. And again, it's not what they think. It's not this kingdom where people are ruling with power or authority. It's this kingdom where people rule through service. Jesus is saying the greatest is the one who serves. He says, who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Jesus, who is the greatest, who is the king in this kingdom, tells them, what am I doing here? I'm hosting the party. I'm serving. In the Gospel of John, in this scene, no one wanted to wash the disciples' feet. It's the, the activity of the ser- servant, and their feet would be really dirty. It wasn't roads. They'd be full of dust, and no one wants to do it. So Jesus takes a towel, kneels down, and washes the disciples' feet. Jesus takes the lowest place, the place of a servant, and he says, that's what the kingdom's like. That's the greatest place. That's what it's like to be in my kingdom where the greatest is the one who serves. And ultimately, ultimately, he's going to serve and he's going to welcome people to the table through his sacrifice. He's going to serve by giving his body, by pouring out his blood. I finish off this passage. He says to them, you are those who stood by me in my trials. They've persevered with him. And I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's saying they're going to be in this kingdom, and in this kingdom they're going to eat and they're going to drink and they're going to rule. And this rule, again, is going to be this servant rule. But his desire, you can see, where everything's leading is the kingdom where they will eat and drink at the table. What Jesus is saying is what he's doing, again, God's desire for communion in creation God's desire for communion in redemption. Jesus is offering his body. Jesus is offering his blood. But that's not the goal. That's the means. The goal is the table. The goal is communion. The goal is that people can come and eat and drink at his table in his kingdom forever. That's actually the point. This is how one author puts it. He says, sometimes we get stuck at the altar or the cross but not realizing that's the means to the end of communion. That's actually God's desire. This guy, oh, here's my point, and then I'll read the quote. Jesus and communion. Jesus is the ultimate host who serves through his suffering in order to welcome us to his table. The suffering, the service, is to get to the table, to sit at the table with him. He's the host. He's the servant. He's the one who welcomes. This is what he says, the altar So an altar is where you offer a sacrifice. So for the cross is a sacrifice, an altar. The altar, the cross of Jesus Christ was a means to an end. It was the penultimate act. That means the second greatest act of God in order to bring about through atonement, to get ridding of sin, the ultimate intent of God, which is communion. The altar was an act of self-humiliation for the sake of the table, The altar, in terms of its goal, serves the table. The altar, by its atoning work, enables the table. Atonement secures communion. The cross grounds the table. Jesus' sacrifice 
is so that we can sit at the table with God and commune with him. That was always God's original intent. And then he had to redeem the world. And now Jesus, as he's leaving, transforms this meal that was originally given, leaves a meal that we may commune with him as we look to the day when we'll do that forever. That's the goal. That's where everything's heading. And after Jesus finishes it, he has this meal with his disciples. They go out and he's betrayed. He's arrested. He's unjustly condemned and he's crucified. His body is broken. His blood is shed and he dies and he's buried. And then his followers are confused. They're afraid. They wait. But then on the Sunday, there's these, these discussions that he's been raised from the dead. And then there's this story that two disciples of Jesus, again in Luke, are walking and they're sad because Jesus has, has died and they thought he was going to be the Messiah. And a strange character who we know is Jesus, but they don't know, starts to walk beside them and starts to ask them questions and starts to teach them that the Messiah, the Savior, the King, had to suffer. It was part of the story all along. It was part of God's plan all along. And this strange character is walking with them and then they want him to eat with them. And this is what happens. This is Luke 24. When he was at the table, so this is Jesus, but they don't know it's Jesus, with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. You see the parallel. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. This is on the Sunday. They've been through all of this with Jesus. Now they're sitting again at a meal with the bread. He breaks it and they recognize him. They see who he is. They ask each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? As they taught about this story, it's something in their hearts were touched. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. And there's this parallel that Luke's making, that this, this, this last supper, this communion meal, Jesus breaks the bread. And then a couple of days later, he's alive and he breaks the bread and he's recognized. And again, he says to do this in remembrance of him. There's this symbolism that in breaking bread, in sharing this meal, Jesus' presence is actually recognized. This is how one author puts it. Just as happened on the Emmaus Road, so also today Jesus' presence is known in the breaking of the bread. Jesus' presence historically has been uniquely real and recognizable around the table. And Jesus leaves this meal with his followers, leaves it with us, and again, this has been practiced since that night. The church has practiced this again in the book of Acts. They're practicing it in Corinthians. They're practicing it throughout church history. And it's been very controversial, the practice of it. We can't get into that today. Um, but, but there's this sense that in celebrating this meal that Jesus left, his presence is there. There's a way to meet with him because that's God's desire for communion to actually commune. And as we do that, we look to the day when he returns and the new heavens and the new earth and everything's right and there's this kingdom of God where we eat and we drink and sit at table in relationship and communion with him. So now we're left, and this is what Paul talks about in Corinthians as well. He says, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, 
you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. This meal that we've been given, Jesus' meal, communion, the Lord's Supper, um, that there's this practice that the church does, that Jesus left. And it's interesting that Jesus, the, the main thing in some ways that Jesus leaves is not a teaching about his death, but a, but a practice, a meal that celebrates and recognizes and we participate in his death. This is, so we've given this practice that we eat and drink the meal Jesus gave us as we remember his death. There's this past element. We look to his return in the future element and we recognize his presence with us today in the present. As we celebrate communion, there's this strange sort of thing with time that it's not just looking to the past. I think sometimes we can get stuck there and we, and we just look at Jesus' death, which we must do. We remember his death. Remember him sharing this meal with his disciples. But as well, like Paul says, we proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. We look forward to when Jesus returns and his kingdom's fulfilled. And at the same, we kind of bring both those things into the present. And it's actually an opportunity and a practice to have communion with Jesus now, that he can actually be recognized in the breaking of the bread at the table. Again, not not get yet hung up about what happens with the bread or the wine and so forth, but at the table, there's this communion that happens with God. So as we practice communion, which we're going to do in a moment, I just want to make a few comments around this practice. And again, it's interesting that, that Jesus left this practice of a table, and this has been the central practice of the church in many ways. And um, at communion, what we do is attend to presence, and two, two, two presence, Jesus' presence, but also the presence of each other. So I want to give a couple of comments on that, and then we're going to participate and have communion as we respond. The first is this idea that actually, as we have communion, we actually have communion with Jesus. It's actually an, an opportunity and a practice that we meet with him, that his presence is made known in the breaking of bread. And we see this in the, in the New Testament, in Corinthians particularly, um, that Paul talks about this, that participating it with the cup and the bread, there's this communion with Jesus, there's this significance. And, and it is a symbol. We're not, we're not saying that something happens to the bread or to the wine, but that Jesus is present. And therefore there is, in a sense, a weight to it. There, there is a significance to it, that we're actually sitting at table and meeting at table with Jesus. And therefore... Uh, it's not to be done lightly, but in a sense of we can't sit at the table with Jesus and at the table with other gods or with other idols. Or we if, if we're communing with Jesus, we're actually saying that we're connected to Jesus and in relationship with Jesus, which means that we follow him. We recognize that he's Lord, that there's actually a commitment to it. But at the same time, we're celebrating this grace and this love that he's given his body and poured out his blood. So this is the table of forgiveness and grace and joy. And, and sometimes the way we practice communion can be so individualistic and, and somber, and, and, um, which is good to have the reverence, but often we lack the joy. And the joy of, that Jesus was actually eating a meal and celebrating a meal with his friends, and they were eating food, and they would have been talking, they would have been sharing life. And it seems in Corinthians that this was how they practiced it. They practiced a meal together. So as we take communion, we, we commune with Jesus and recognize his presence, but also each other's presence. 
And again, we kind of lose this sometimes in the way we practice it because it can be so individualistic with, with the cups and, and the biscuit. But actually, again, this is ideally meant to be a meal where we sit at table with Jesus, but also with each other. And that we actually recognize that we are the body of Christ. This is the issue that, that happened in, in Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, there's these issues. People are getting drunk when they're having communion. The poor are being excluded. The rich are taking the best stuff. And there's significant problems there. So much so that Paul even says some people have gotten sick and died because there's this, this holy sense that they're, they're misusing this meal. But the issue is that they're not recognizing that the people around them are Jesus' body. It says they haven't discerned the body of the Lord. They're mistreating Jesus' body, mistreating Jesus' people. And there's actually this sense of as we come to share communion, it's a time to commune with each other. Therefore, some people talk about there's a need to have reconciled relationships. And if we're out of relationship with each other, to, to reconcile, to acknowledge that. There's also this awareness that as we come and commune with Jesus, we participate in his body. Therefore, we serve his body and we share, care for each other and are aware of each other. So as we take communion, we commune with Jesus and with each other. And again, if we imagine being there at the Lord's Supper, at the, the, the Passover meal he had, or in the church in, in Corinth, they're having this meal, they're, they're sitting down at a table, they're sharing. There would be talking, there would be laughter, there would be joy. Like, that's what it's like when you're at a table. Well, we kind of lose that because, because we just have the little cups and the biscuit. And there's reasons that we do that. But what, what we can do is, is try to get back to this idea of this being a table, where we remember his death, we look to his return, and recognize his presence. So just for today, I want to offer a way to try this a little bit differently. And we're gonna, I'm going to sort of just lead into communion um, in a moment. But as we do, what I want to invite you to do today is to come up the front or go to the back to take the, the um, juice that represents the wine and the cracker. So normally we distribute and serve, but today I invite you to stand up when we start and go to the back or go to the front. Um, if, if you're not... If it's, it's a bit difficult to stand up and get up, maybe someone else can serve you or maybe you can look out for people who you could serve. And again, instead of a somber, quiet, individualistic environment, let's, let's be at table together with Jesus and each other. So I invite you to look around at each other as we take communion. I invite you to welcome each other. I invite you to talk to each other. I invite you to joke with each other. Like, like let's be together. And again, we, we acknowledge Jesus' presence and there is an, an awe and a reverence to that but also a joy and a delight to that. I think sometimes we go too far on the awe and the reverence. We can have joy and delight as well. So as we do that, you can come forward. We also um, hand out an offering bags, but today I just invite you to, if you, if you have um, a gift to give it to the Lord or to the church, to just bring it to the front or bring it to the back and put it in the bag as you take communion. And as we do this, again, if you, if you still need some time to to just sort of set yourself before that. I encourage you to do that at your seat. And then as you come forward, eat and drink, take it back to your seat, have it when you're ready, and just chat to someone. Enjoy communion at table with Jesus and with each other. So I'm just going to read this, this passage again, and I'm going to pray, and we're going to sort of lead into this time um, of communion. So Jesus said, He took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup, 
the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So Jesus, we just thank you so much that you poured out your blood, your body was broken, uh, that we could have communion with you. And Lord, we just thank you that we are your body uh, here on the earth and that you are present with us um, as we come to this table today. So Jesus, we just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would meet us, um, ask that you would unite us together in in communion with you, um, in communion with each other. Um, Lord, that you would uh, just make us a people who have joy and delight and celebration at your table. We thank you that you would go to the cross uh, to make a way for us to come to your table, to have fellowship and relationship with you. Uh, So we just offer this time to you in your name, Lord. Amen. So here we, if you, if you believe Jesus, if you, if you um, are a follower of him, we invite you to the table. Everyone's welcome. Uh, and just, yeah, relax in this space as we spend time with Jesus and each other. So when you're ready, come forward or, or come to the back. Um, we're going to play some music and um, have communion. <laughs>